We would like to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello everyone, welcome to I Used to Play Piano. I'm Ioana. And I'm Zara. And this is the podcast for lovers of music, doers of music, and listeners for music. Welcome! Welcome! How are you going, Zara? I'm really good, Ioana. You know why? Why? Because I'm sitting right in front of you. Yes! We are back in person. We are. It's so nice to see your face. I know, and not in a tiny Zoom box. No, like a physical manifestation of your face rather than a virtual one. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> this is the, um, I would say this is the furthest I've been from my house since lockdown ended, but technically my work is around the corner from here. So, so I have been <laughs> have been about five kilometers further. <laughs> nice. So what have you been up to? Oh, you know, just working and existing. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Although I did actually enter a piano competition. What? <laughs> it was actually a link that you provided me with, Zara. So the Sydney International Piano Competition, which some of you may know, um, did a bit of a side comp for amateur pianists age 30 and over. And um, yeah, I decided to enter can I just take a moment to say that is awesome because it's exactly what we wanted. Like it's what we set out to yeah. do with this podcast Absolutely. for ourselves and for other people to have an opportunity for people who aren't professional musicians, but spent years of their lives training and, mm. you know, or not, but, you know, particularly for us, we both, you know, spent so much time at uni practicing we and did. then kind of got out of it and was like, well, what do we do now? You yeah. know, so this is just, I really love the idea that they've, they've invited people who aren't at that kind of elite professional level yeah. to kind of share their love of music. and Absolutely. And it's like being adjudicated by Piers Lane and Whoa. two other international pianists. So it's not like just some comp and you get feedback from them. Oh, that so is cool. it's pretty cool. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so... That is so congratulations oh, thanks, on Lee. doing the doing it and getting in um when can we hear it well we can release the recordings over the next few episodes i guess um so i played some list and i played a piece by an australian composer esther roof um which i've played before in yeah which is a beautiful piece by the way yeah um yeah it's a great piece so yeah we can we can share them over the next few episodes um, and yeah, that is real. Yeah. I'd love to do an episode mm. on Esther. That's really cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. You, I believe performed, had your choir perform virtually in a Croatian choir festival, if I'm correct. Yeah. So I actually forgot about this up <laughs> until we started talking. So as many of you know, I facilitate a choir for people who are living with neurological conditions such as dementia. And we've been kind of battling along trying to do a choir over Zoom for the past, well, yeah, however long it's been since this whole pandemic started. Good on you for doing it and pursuing it as well. You know what? It was, it's been really challenging, but to their credit, like everyone has embraced it. There's only a few members of the choir who either haven't um, wanted to join the online format because it doesn't meet, yeah. um, you know, 
some people it's not accessible, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but most people we've been able to to support them to go online. Um, and it's just been, I think, a lifesaver for me. <laughs> I don't know about the other members of the choir. I'm sure it has been. Um, it's just been such an important thing each week, even though the audio quality is terrible and we can't sing in unison. Yeah. Um, it's It's just been a really important thing. And one of our beautiful members is, um, originally from Croatia and she saw in the, the local Australian Croatian language newspaper that they were having a, a international competition. Wow. Oh, no, it, sorry, it wasn't a competition. It was a festival. Yeah. But I believe it is usually competitive because I didn't realize this until we watched the live stream of it, um, that usually it's an in-person event each year. This is, I think it was the third one they've done. Yeah. And all of these choirs that participated in it were all part of um like the the international choir competition circuit right so some of the ones i think that were on i'm just picturing a pitch perfect acapella kind of like (laughs) style comp thing but anyway continue well funny you say that because it actually there was a couple of choirs that were a bit like pitch perfect i I can't remember what the songs (laughs) they sung were now it was a few months ago now so i've forgotten it but um, you can watch the live stream. I think we shared it to our Facebook page. Yeah. And which is, I used to play piano. If you search that on Facebook, I think it'll come up. Yes. Is that the name? I can't yes, remember. It <laughs> wow, it's been a while, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, so some of the, the choirs in there were just phenomenal. Like the, I think one of the choirs, I can't remember if they performed just before or just after us, yeah. but they'd won a bunch of competitions recently and they were sh- showing, because it was all pre-recorded because of COVID. Yeah. Um, the 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 link or the the footage that they submitted was from their award-winning international performance. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so one of our members had seen this in the paper and she was suggesting that, oh, maybe we could do it because it says it will welcome any submission from any choir internationally. Yeah. So we were one of two Australian entrants. Yeah, wow. The other one was from Brisbane. I, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the choir, but shout out to them because they were also brilliant. Um, and they let us, our little community choir... Um, in That's and amazing. we sung a song in Croatian. Yeah, it was really awesome. If you haven't checked it out yet, do it's as Zara mentioned, it's on our Facebook feed, so just check out our posts. Uh, it was so much fun, and it it streamed here at five a.m. So I was up super early watching <laughs> it. I was so nervous because, you know, I we had to edit it together, you know, remotely. So we had to get everyone to learn how to sing. And record themselves while listening to a backing track and things like that. Um, It was a little bit out of sync because we couldn't, um, not everyone could do the video. So we we just did it in Zoom, which means it's a tiny bit out of sync for the video part of it. But, um, and not everyone in the choir could be part of it. But it was such an exciting thing. And also like when we first got to hear it all mixed together, which I should shout out to our fabulous music therapy student who mixed it all together. Yeah, great. Who's been on placement with us. Um... It was like it was emotional hearing us harmonise because we haven't been able to do that since March. So yeah, it was, right. I'm just getting emotional now. I know I can, about yeah, it. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. Good so that was fun. Our little claim to fame for the year. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, and you also went to a music therapy conference. Yes. So we had our national music therapy conference um, from the Australian Music Therapy Association. Uh, just last week, I think it finished for, from when we're recording this, mm. um, which was really amazing. The organisers um, and the committee that planned it this year 
really did a stellar job. Um, shout out to Tanya and Ellie um, and the rest of the committee as well. But it was amazing because they they were faced with this challenge of having to do a conference online, which I think, you know, I know how much everyone has been online this year and the thought yeah. of going to a conference online is kind of a bit <laughs> exhausting. But they not only did they design a really amazing program with heaps of really interesting papers and presentations, they went out of their way to make sure that it was extremely diverse. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, also accessible. Yeah. So there were presenters um, from really different backgrounds. Their focus was a lot on um, racial inequality in music therapy. There was a great panel by disabled music therapists who talked about their lived experience and how that informs their work yeah. and things like that. So it was just amazing. That would have been so interesting. Uh, it was incredible. Highly recommend it. And the cool thing is it's available online to watch back. Oh, great. So if you wanted to register, if you're interested in music therapy, I'd highly recommend you can still do it, I believe. I can pop the details on our website if you wanted to watch any of those back. You can register. They made it um, fairly cost affordable this year as well. Yeah, great. And also um, for any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders listeners, they can access it for free as well, oh, which great. is really great. Fantastic. So highly recommend um, just an amazing program that really... I think set the bar yeah. <laughs> for the future as well. So that so was pretty cool. And also I got to present a few papers at that as well, which was mm. really fun. <laughs> you being all professional. I know, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I haven't done much actual music stuff. How's that Brahms going? <laughs> Still haven't touched it. <laughs> that's okay. One day you'll get there. That can be next year's challenge. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get back to it soon. <laughs> One day. Dan, make sure she's on it. <laughs> Yeah, Dan and I have been, um, or occasionally we'll like do a little Brahms duet sight read Cute. thing. That's yeah. fun. That's nice. Yeah, it keeps me, at least I touch the piano every now and then. <laughs> well, we recently caught up with one of Zara's students who was doing her year 12 music exam. Um, and we had a bit of a chat to her about what she was playing and how she's found this year, um, you know, obviously doing her VCE remotely but then also having to do her lessons remotely yeah so um this is an interview with mary constantinius who has been a student of mine for we couldn't work out how how many years but probably around 10 years yeah um and she's trooped through the whole thing by doing lessons on zoom which is well you'll hear it in the interview we talk about some of the challenges that we've had trying to do lessons she's my only student at the moment i should say right. <laughs> um yeah because um, of COVID and also, you know, the old PhD thing. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't been teaching as much, but um, I wanted to make sure I could see her through to the end of Year 12 music. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was really great to talk to her about what that's been like. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's many students, both um, school and university students, who've had to just go to extreme lengths to maintain their practice and stuff this year you know whether yeah. it's I know quite a few people have had a lot of difficulty um practicing because people everyone in their families at home doing work or study and <laughs> you can't get a quiet time. time yeah you know yeah. so um yeah it was a really really cool insight and Mary's also going to be playing a beautiful piece that she chose for her um VC which is the um final year assessment here in Victoria yeah um by Amy Beach which we'll talk a little bit about after the interview and um after her performance as well so let's go to it
Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on our show to talk about your um, experience of doing piano in the middle of a pandemic for VCE, which is, we should say, that's the Victorian Certificate of Education, which is kind of like your, your final exams for high school here in Melbourne. Yes. And we know it's a really busy time of year because it's almost exam time. So thanks for taking time Ooh. out from study to, to tell us about what it's all been like. Mm, <laughs> no thank you. Um, so to kick it off, how long have you been playing piano for, Mary? Um, I've been playing for roughly 10 years, so it's been a long time. Um, I started in primary school um, and, yeah, now I'm doing VCE. There you go. And has Zara, we should point out that Zara is actually your teacher. Yes. And yes. so um, has Zara been your teacher the whole time? No, I had um, around the first maybe four years, I feel like, five maybe, um, I had another teacher and then I moved to Zara at about, oh, I don't know. Um, we're trying to work this out last lesson. <laughs> I'm pretty sure... I've been teaching you for about eight years. Yeah. And I only know that because I remember I went overseas at one point and. Oh, yeah. That was eight that years ago. <laughs> I was there too. You were there too. Mm, Although we not didn't. with you. <laughs> no, we, we tried to meet up, but we didn't. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's about eight years, I think. So. Also, too. Oh, okay. I, wow. <laughs> been learning for a long time then. A long time. And can I ask? Um, I know Zara is right here with us, but is she a good teacher? Oh, no, she's horrible. <laughs> I love it. No, she's great. Oh, thanks, cool. Mary. <laughs> awesome. There was no um, transfer of money between Zara and Mary for that. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you decide to study um, VCE music? Um, I wasn't originally planning on it or like it was an option, but... I guess um, I did it as a elective subject in like the younger, in my younger stages of high school, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really enjoyed it and I wanted to continue and do it at a higher level. Um, yeah. Can I ask what other subjects you're studying at the moment as well? If that's uh, not yeah. too traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm studying English, obviously, um, French, um, methods, psych, um, and I think that's it. And then obviously music. Great. And, and methods is a maths project for anyone, yeah. project, <laughs> subject, subject. For anyone who's not in Melbourne or Victoria, because I don't know what they call maths in other areas. Um, yeah. Would the subject titles be the same? They would have to be because they're nationwide. Are they? I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. I think it's state specific. I don't know. Oh, he's showing me. We have I feel no like idea. I should know that. But yeah, you were a... Um, yeah, but I don't work in maths. I work in music. I don't, the yeah, other. So I don't feel like I need to know that. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, good little variety of subjects there. Um, that's cool. And so what's it been like um, doing BCA music during COVID? Have, have how have you been um, having your lessons or classes for music? Has it all been remote? Um, yeah, it's been pretty hard. I've had all my music classes, so with school, um, they're all online. Mm -hmm. And um, my lessons with Zara are also online. Mm -hmm. And I've been pretty lucky um, the past two weeks, I think it was. Um, I've had 
one lesson at school, which was really good, which I got to perform on a grand piano. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so that was really good in preparation for my performance exam. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been hard online, um, especially because like a lot of the activities are practical and it's good to have that um, in-person kind of experience. Definitely. Um, yeah, but otherwise I'm pretty lucky I have a piano at home and all like my teachers and all the resources that I've had have been really good and really supporting as well. Mm. And um, do you know at this stage if you'll be giving your exam in person or is it going to be online? Um, at the moment, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in person, awesome. um, but they haven't really given much details from what I know. Start practicing with mask on in case you have to play with mask. That would suck. Yeah. <laughs> but better to get used to doing it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, as long as you don't have to wear gloves, that would be the main yeah. thing. Yeah, I know anyway. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, that would be hard. Um, do you know how other students in your year level are coping with the remote learning side of things? Um, yeah, kind of. I think everyone's feeling the same, but... Um, I think they're more stressed about the accompaniment side of it because yeah, obviously of I'm a solo instrument. So, and yeah, they've had to, they don't have as many lessons with their accompaniment to perform mm. together. Yeah. yeah that would be hard. Dan, our sound, sound man, Mary, you know, Dan, yes. <laughs> um, he's doing some accompanying for VCE recitals and he's been, I think he said he'll hopefully get a chance to do one rehearsal with them. And that's it. So they'll get one in-person rehearsal mm. and then turn up on the day and play, which that's not super uncommon for like lesser, less important exams. But for VCE, normally you would have several lessons yeah. with an accompanist. And, you know, because Dan's such a great musician, he often will give the students some more advice as well, especially around playing together with someone yeah. else. Like it's so hard. That's a real challenge in and of itself so you picked the right instrument Mary yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of a solo instrument um well I mean yeah. you've mentioned that you you're like you know some of the benefits are that you're playing um a solo instrument are there any other benefits to doing music or other classes remotely and are there I guess even to an extent that question do you think there's some that you prefer learning remotely or do you miss that face-to-face -face learning all around um, I think it really depends. Like, obviously, online learning has its advantages, like you're at home. So you can have, it's been easier time management wise. Mm -hmm. And I can, like, between lunch breaks or our school, we had like 15 minutes between classes to kind of um, refresh, start up and um, have that break until for the next class. Mm -hmm. So like during those times, I could um, just go run on my piano for a little bit, do some work there and then come back and be prepared for the next class but um yeah I think that's the main advantage but I do prefer on-site learning just because mm -hmm. I'm very unmotivated I'm a very unmotivated and I like to procrastinate a lot so <laughs> teachers and having that schedule really really helps and just being on site as well kind of motivates you and pushes you through and you don't have as many distractions like I have a big family so they can sometimes be a little annoying in the house. <laughs> That's great. 
Yeah, the joys of being, um, you know, isolated with, with your loved ones. It's, um, yes, I feel for some great people. time. <laughs> yes. Tests relationships, hey. Um, been, oh, sorry, Joanna. No, no, go on. I jump in and say it's been really interesting teaching online as well because on one hand, it's been kind of easy in a way that we've been really lucky, I think, Mary, that we can kind of continue on with some of the things that we were doing without too much of a adjustment to make, you know, but and there, are, there are other things that are really hard to teach online, like tone and mm. um, balance between notes. Like it's very hard to hear that over Zoom. And actually one thing that Mary and I kind of figured out pro- pretty early on was that it was better if she recorded herself and sent it to me rather than oh, okay. playing in our lesson because when you play over Zoom, even though they've – oh, actually, that's – have you two heard that there's a new update from Zoom and they've released a music feature now, which is good. Oh, that's cool. It's much better, but it still occasionally cuts out. So yeah. it's not ideal, especially, you know, it's fine if you're, you know, when I do my music therapy sessions online and if you miss a bit of me strumming along and singing on guitar, it's not the end of the world, but trying to hear, you know, Mary playing a Mozart piece and hearing all the intricacies that you need to hear in the phrasing um, doesn't always come across. Or for some reason, the sustain doesn't translate. Mm. on on zoom so you can hear you know you might have a fermata and a hold like a holding a note and then it will just disappear and I'm going Mary why aren't you holding that note I am (laughs) we've had to kind of record yeah she's been recording things and sending them to me which has worked much better have you tried other platforms like Skype I use Skype for my lessons with Christian and I, I think that's better than zoom um yeah maybe have a go on skype and see if that you just have to make sure you enable or adjust that setting around the sound so it doesn't cut off when you get to a part that's a little bit louder Mm. yeah let it go i think dan used skype and he said it wasn't he didn't notice the difference so much but that was also early on so maybe they've improved too yeah yeah Mm. yeah interesting um I do have another question, but I can't remember what it's. That's right. <laughs> so what, are you, what pieces are you playing for your recital? How long is your recital? How many pieces can you squeeze in? Um, well, I did a little run through this morning. So that was roughly 20 minutes, mm-hmm. um, which is right where um, I need to be. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, my pieces are, um, so I have a Mozart, the D minor Fantasia. and oh. then, <laughs> Good one, eh? <laughs> um and I have a prelude one um George Gershwin's piece and then I have a mist by Larry Stisky and then obviously the um Sur les Etoiles or Under the Stars by um Amy Beach Mm, lovely um now this I believe you've got a recording of the Amy Beach for us and I actually (laughs) have listened to it so it's not like I believe you do. <laughs> um, you're, you're ruining the podcast magic. This I'm, is sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yes. So, and it's beautiful. You've done great work on that. Um, what can you tell us how, why you chose this particular piece? Um, yeah. So, well, firstly, we have to, um, part of the 
uh, requirements um, for performing in BC. You have to make sure that the pieces are contrasting. So you have to choose one from each style or era. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was looking for a romantic era or post-romantic piece, um, I was just going through the list and Zara made a really good point to try and find composers, female composers, as mm -hmm. they're not as well recognised. Um, and so I guess that was a main feature as to why I chose the piece. And then obviously I really enjoyed um, the piece itself. Like I think it's a really beautiful piece. Mm. So yeah, I wanted to try and I guess live up to that and try and <laughs> um, do that piece justice and yeah. Is it hard to play? Um, yes and no, it's hard um, in terms of, it was very hard at the start because there's a lot of um, sh uh, flats in the key signature and oh, yeah. it's very difficult <laughs> to read. <laughs> um, but obviously I've um, had many lessons and I've been practicing it a lot. So it's gotten a lot easier mm -hmm. and also because I really do enjoy the piece and I love the um, mood and the um, feel of it that it just has become easier for me to play mm -hmm. over time. Do you have can to memorize? Help? Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, do you have to memorize your pieces for your exam or can you play from the music? Um, you can play from the music, but I'm playing, I'm going to try and play all my pieces by um, memory just because also like I hate page flipping and turning yeah. that's really distracting and it freaks me out so <laughs> I just prefer <laughs> I'd rather play by memory it yeah. is 100 percent you you can tell you're my student Mary because <laughs> you probably inherited that from me <laughs> total fear of page turn that's funny my mum um when she used to come and listen to my recital she was just like I just can't do it. It's too stressful. You work, walk out on stage with no music in your hands and I just can't enjoy it because I'm just too worried that you're going to forget something and I don't want to say, like, no, mum, you have to come. <laughs> <laughs> Very sweet. I am, um, you can tell her, Ioana, about the time that I was page turning for our friend. I think, it, I, can't, I don't think it was Adrienne. It might've been our friend Jeannie when we were doing our undergrad and I was wearing thongs, which people who aren't Australian might know as flip-flops. And I somehow stepped, when I stood up to turn the page, I stepped on the back of one and fell over onto the piano. <laughs> in, the <middle> of, <laughs> in the middle of her recital. Like her actual recital. Yeah, and I knocked her, or maybe it was a masterclass. No, I think it was a recital. Cause I, I think I was, I don't know, songs aren't really dress up clothes, but I think it was an attempt to, I might've been wearing a dress, it was summery. Right. And, yeah, I knocked the music onto her hands. <laughs> that was. Um, Do you guys yeah. still speak? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. yeah, I think it's nerve wracking having patrons as well because you just never know if they're paying attention enough and if they're. And then some will, you know, get up from the chair a little bit later than what you might be want or be used to, and so there's a moment as you approach the end of the page where you're just like. Do I, do I need to, do I need to? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, you also like, I normally ask the person who's playing, how early do you want me to turn? Cause sometimes they'll want the turn really early. Cause they have no idea what's on the next page and they read ahead. Yeah. 
the end and other people need to see the very last second of the yeah. note and it's it's very oh my gosh I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a craft it's a craft yeah. Oh, man. yeah um so can you tell us a little bit about um the Amy Beach piece there's some background on it what it's about translate the title for us <laughs> that too I think she said before yeah it's under the stars so there's mm. the um and um it's from the romantic era um and yeah honestly I don't really have much (laughs) that's okay um I actually did a little bit of homework I couldn't find much about the piece specifically but I've got a whole story about Amy Beach which um you're going to love Mary she's a fascinating composer Mm. and it's also really infuriating. I, I found a journal article that had, um, you know, it's kind of like a biography of her life and it included a lot of reviews of her music over the years. And it was just infuriating reading the way that these reviewers described a female composer or pianist yeah, at I the know. time. Um, it was, yeah, just, I'm going to read some of them out. We're, we're going to record a little bit um, about that later on. And yeah, you'll... Um, just listening to it, it, I mean, obviously you know that there's obviously like just from the fact that we don't have many female composers in the, the common classical music canon, you know that obviously there's a reason for that. And it just makes me think like really, like really there's no way that it, when you read these things, you, you have to understand like how much it's just such a different time. Like the fact that people mm. say that and not be canceled is amazing, I guess. So yeah, yeah. interesting, but we'll talk about that in, in a, a bit later mm. as well. Um, so you've played piano for obviously a long time, Mary, but what outside of the classical world of piano, what are your musical interests? What do you, what kind of music do you like to listen? Do you like to do other musical things? Um, yeah, um, well, outside of classical piano, I do like um, more contemporary or I guess pop styles um, that people are probably more um, known to or common to. Mm-hmm. I love R&B music particularly. Um, all my friends know me for like, I'm that R&B person you come to and I've got an artist, I've got a song that everyone, um, that I, I've got to make sure someone's listening to it or, yeah. Um, but I want to, um, next year, I would like to pursue, um, or I'd like to get into um, a university course at Monash University um, in Melbourne. And it's a double degree in science and music. And yes. I really like the composition side of the course um, that, off- that offers, that it offers um, which will be really interesting and something that I haven't really done much of. Um, I have taken a few lessons with um, Dan uh, <laughs> and that's been really uh, fun and I've learned heaps from that. So that's been a good starting point to that. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, cool. Firstly, because Monash now have a popular music course, which is awesome. Um, really exciting that that's, they're expanding the, um, the yeah. but it's very hard. Like if you wanted, and also the fact that you can do music and science at the same time, I'm so jealous. Ugh. And Dan, the sound man is jealous as well. And I think probably all his siblings, because 
um, when we went to uni, you couldn't do a double degree in music and science because of the contact hours. So they were mm. very strict about that. And, you know, when I played in the Monash Philharmonic Orchestra, which was the student orchestra there, literally I was the, I think there was one of two actual music students. Everyone else was science students, engineering students, law students, you know, and it just shows that like so many people have music as a passion and something that they still want to do regularly and they want to perform and challenge themselves, but you don't always get that chance. So the fact that you can now combine science and music is just oh, so exciting. <laughs> That's cool. Mm. Well, good luck with it. Um, when is your exam? Um, my performance exam is on the 18th of October. Yeah. Cool. And then oh. my is not until late November, so the 27th. Oh, you got heaps of time for that. Yeah. Oh, well, very good luck with it. I Thank hope you. that you do well. And um, you'll have to report back to Zara, which you obviously will, how you <laughs> went so she can report back to us. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll have to get you back on the show for a victory lap or something, Mary. <laughs> do another piece for us. Yes, that'd be good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and again, thank you for recording the piece for us. Good practice mm -hmm. recording, um, recording what you're learning so you can listen. Well, that was that reason we wanted to do this so much is because in any other year, I would be encouraging students to do as many performances as possible, you know, go to a Steadfords, um, set up performances. Um, normally, as I think we've talked about on the show, I organise um, recitals in aged care and retirement villages so that people who live there can have a chance to have some other members of the community come in we can mingle and um, mm. students get a chance to perform residents get a chance to listen to some really nice music and you know everyone loves especially when you get the little kids in and they're very cute as well yeah um, but then this year obviously you can't do any of that there's no performance opportunities and you know even on zoom if you were to perform it's not the same as if you're performing for, for an audience and mm. also not being able to practice on different pianos. Mm. That's a huge one too, you know? So um, we figured at least this will give you a bit of, um, uh, you know, nerves to <laughs> record something, even though it is pre-recorded, but recording something that's going to be available worldwide. Who knows? We have listeners in the States. We have listeners in Canada, apparently. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. According <laughs> to our statistics, yes. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks um, for and me. yeah. Let's um, have a listen. Yeah, let's check it out. Thanks.
great job. That was amazing. Love it. And like kudos to her as well for agreeing to record to put it out in a podcast. That wouldn't be easy, especially if you've only been having virtual lessons. Yeah. So do you know how Mary went with her exam? Yeah. Well, we don't have results yet. That'll be a while away. But um, yeah, she called me after she did the exam and she said it went really well, which is good. Didn't have any um, mean examiners making noise (laughs) or sighing as... I think we both have known a certain examiner who would do that in our past. Oh, gosh. No, we're not going to. No names. If you know, you know. (laughs) Um, I'm sure a few of our listeners might Might know know. who we're talking about. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad that she's done that. So, I mean, it's great that we've also been able to have Mary play something by Amy Beach. I mean, we we really want to try and look at composers, at different composers that aren't in the sort of mainstream canon of classical music um, that, yeah, that sit outside and didn't get representation based on their gender or um, their ethnicity or, you know, just their their placement in life, I guess. So yeah, um, it's great that we're able to fe- feature something by Amy Beach. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the composer? Yeah, so I've done a deep dive on Amy. <laughs> Are you prepared? Because this is probably going to be a long, bit long and ranty. <laughs> Feel free to interject at any point. Okay. Um, and also I did the research for this quite a while ago. So hopefully, <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess hopefully not, nothing will have changed about it. But, um, yeah, so to give a little bit of um, references or note my sources for this, um, other than the usual Wikipedia. <laughs> Good old wiki. Yep. Um, I got a lot of this information from the Caprilova Society Journal, um, an article I couldn't see. Oh, I think the article was written by an American symphonist, Eugene Gates. Yep. Um, and it was about, yeah, Amy Beach's life and such. And then I also watched this amazing um, YouTube. It was an... I, I think it was actually an interview, like a, a radio show that had been uploaded to YouTube um, featuring Virginia Eskin, who is a pianist who specialises in the works of Amy Beach. Yeah, cool. And David Dubal, who is, a, I believe, a um, well-known American musician who was hosting the radio show mm-hmm. back in 1983. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was an old interview, but it was really cool. Um, it was also just really fun to hear people in 1983 talking about music in such a relatively progressive way yeah right um which you know I think you and I both grew up in the the classical system here and you know I think I remember I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before getting into a fight with one of the lecturers because he was saying that Clara Schumann was unimaginative (laughs) um, overrated (laughs) you know like the the system is strong and up against a lot but um yeah, the show is called For the Love of Music um, on the WNCN network. Um, Virginia has been an instrumental musician in bringing female composers into the forefront. Um, also, fun fact, she played um, some Amy Beach music for Julia Child, you know, the, the oh, chef yeah. or cook, or I don't know what the proper term. Chef. Chef, yeah. yeah. Um, when she did an American Feast special. So that's pretty oh, cool. That's and awesome. I think they were like trying to make sure that they included some um, female representation yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and they have a really interesting discussion regarding the value of American art and culture while acknowledging race and um, problems existing back in 1983. It was a really interesting discussion. Like, yeah. you know, and 
also made me a little bit disheartened because I guess you know we're still having these discussions nowadays and we still feel like they're novel so yeah almost what <laughs> 40 years later yeah wait what year are we in now we're at 2020 so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's not later. good like Things are moving way too slowly in that way respect, but slowly. would highly recommend checking out that interview and can put a link to it um, on our social media when this comes out as well. Cool. Um, and also, I believe at one point, Virginia, in the interview, I just noted a few things down. She mentioned that she feel, thinks that Chopin etudes are too easy, so she makes her students play them in other keys. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is insane. I know. Like badass, right? <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> that's insane. I don't know for any of our listeners who are not pianists who haven't tried to play a Chopin etude. Maybe go and listen to a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I could probably like see how some of them might be easier than others, but still there's a, quite a few of them that are really demanding. Anyway, we shunt <laughs> no that was Get just a little bit of fun sidebar that i thought could be fun to mention because yeah. i really enjoyed listening to that interview um so yeah so anyway <laughs> sorry you always sidetracked no it's i'm laughing about how she makes him transpose <laughs> it's pretty intense right i yeah anyway <laughs> i'm keeping that in yeah. <laughs> okay so let me tell you a little bit about Amy Beach, the composer. So Amy was known for being one of the first well-known American female composers. Um, she, her kind of most famous piece, which I believe was the first big piece that she wrote, was the Gaelic Symphony. Um, but she was also a really celebrated pianist. And this was interesting to me, but apparently she's known as the first non-European trained like pianist or composer that was really big in America. Yeah, right. Um, which I guess there seems to be a lot of um, like pride around her in this sense because she kind of, it was like, this is our homegrown talent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although when I, what did I think? Oh yeah. So there was um, like this whole kind of, not mythology, but this like pride around the fact that, yeah, she didn't, learn from it in a European conservatory but her teacher who was Carl Behrman I believe is how you pronounce it um, was a student of Liszt so I'm like it's not right. like it's not far removed it wasn't you know super yeah exactly not like some scrappy coming out of the yeah you know um yeah I guess that's an interesting fact about her mm. so she was born in uh, 1867 on the 5th of September and she was pretty evidently a prodigy child in terms of music from a very young age mm -hmm. so apparently by the age of one she'd learnt to sing over 40 songs huh. um, and was able to improvise counter melodies by age two and had taught herself to read at age three so she was clearly a um, bit of a prodigy yeah little prodigy um, when she was four years old she went to her grandfather's farm for a holiday and she composed three waltzes for piano while she was there, but he didn't have a piano, so she had to memorize them until she got home and then was able to transcribe them and play them on the piano. So, as you do. As you do, <laughs> you know, at four. So Goodness feeling, me. Feeling um, incompetent yet? <laughs> the farm must have been really boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, 
So there's a couple of interesting parallels, which seem to be a theme throughout each episode that we've done this year, um, in that um, her parents... So her mum was a really good singer and pianist, but her parents tried to discourage her from playing piano um, because they were scared... Not because... So the other people... So who have we done recently? Tchaikovsky and Stravinsky. Mm. And I think in those cases, they were all like, oh, this isn't going to be a good job. You can't be a musician, you know, get a real job type thing. But in this case, her parents were trying to stop her from playing piano because they were scared of her, of her talent. And what it would do to her. Well, no, they thought that she would undermine their authority if she became too good at something. (laughs) Which is... Parenting 101. Interesting. Um, Apparently, she was, like, becoming quite demanding about what type of music was played in the house at this age. You know, she was... Sorry, how old was she again? I think this is around the age of four or five. Right. Yeah. Um, was she so, in a terrible two stage still? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Just like had really explicit music taste and <laughs> didn't want any of their... Um, <laughs> Goodness me. Peasant music or something. I don't know. Wow, that's so interesting. I know. It's, so it's quite funny contrasting to the, um, the old Russian blokes. <laughs> and different worlds. Yeah, different worlds, eh? Um, so she also was memorizing hymns from church and things like that. She started formal piano lessons around the age of six. Um, and was giving recitals and things. Like, she mm-hmm. was getting a name for herself. Um, apparently, a bunch of agents were trying to book her for tours, but her parents declined. Um, and apparently, like, she was pretty angry about it at the time, but she got over it. And as an adult, she was like, no, they were probably right. Yeah. Yeah, which is fair. I think stage mums and dads can, you know... <laughs> they're not then called stage mums. They're called mums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... um probably a world that she she needed a little protection from um yeah so she had this is what I found really interesting though again linking back to our episodes on Tchaikovsky and Stravinsky and this idea of formal music education versus learning yourself and um not yeah like not getting lost in the structure so if you recall back um when we did our episode on Tchaikovsky we talked a little bit about how um the five the Russian five, mm, they yes. didn't, they kind of were advocating against formal music Train, institutions yeah. and things like that. And that was from a cultural perspective of wanting to, to maintain Russian cultural music and have this cultural identity. And then Stravinsky kind of did a bit, but then he was discouraged by Rimsky-Korsakov, you know, and it was this whole, they'll do it for money, but maybe like the people that they think are really prodigious, they'll, they'll give yeah. like a more of a informal, you know, build yourself up type education yeah so she only had a few lessons in harmony and counterpoint I think about one year um but she had really good piano lessons um apparently her parents consulted the oh so sorry I forgot to mention that she um was growing up in Boston right um so they consulted the Boston Symphony conductor who suggested that she should teach herself by studying the masters Um, And I was thinking, yeah, like, that's cool. That's kind of what Rimsky-Korsakov was suggesting and all those people. But then I think actually in this instance, it was probably less about this is the the best way to be a good composer and more about, oh, she's a woman, so don't waste your money on it. (gasps) I think that's kind of the tone that I got from reading some of these articles and sources. So I think it was possibly a bit more. And I think going back to Clara Schumann, like that was a similar thing. Like it was okay for a woman to be a pianist but to be the composer was a little bit more controversial or something. Mm. 
Um, and I'll get into that a bit more if we talk about her works. But she freaking nailed it. <laughs> she did indeed. She really did. And she proved them all wrong. So she said that she learnt her skills in composition. Get this. So she copied out the entire Well-Tempered Clavier by Bach. What? Which, if you aren't familiar with that, it's two books of pieces written in every single key. It's a prelude and fugue. Uh, sorry, a prelude and fugue, which are two different types of pieces written in each key. Yeah. And then he did it twice. So there's two editions of it or two books, two versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, 24 keys, 48 pieces. Yeah. yeah. So she wrote all that out from memory. What? Yeah. That's how she learned to be a composer. So she memorized them all and wrote them out. And then she compared her version to the original to right. see like where her voicing was different. Cause she could obviously remember the, mm. the sound and like the, the basic structure of it. But then she would look about, um, you know, I just looked at my notes and it just says WTF. <laughs> With, I think I looked at your notes too. And there's like question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation <laughs> yes. Yeah. Amazing. Right. So that's how that's she kind insane. of worked, learned about voicing and harmony just by, trying to memorize these things, writing them out and then copy, looking back at the original and being like, oh, so Bach did it this way. <laughs> wow. What? That is one way to do it. Yeah. Amazing. Do you know how old she was then? I don't know. Okay. Um, but youth, you know, young. Yeah. She's young. Yeah. Whew. Um, okay. <laughs> Feeling slightly more incompetent yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, you know, not only in music, so she also did a lot of reading and she translated the Gavert and Berlioz's treaties for orchestration from, I think they were in French, into English. As you do. As you do. Um, and her first performance was in 1885. So she would have been, uh, oh God, she's 1867. So what's that? Seventeen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so at 17, she did her first performance with the Boston Symphony Orchestra of Chopin's Concerto in F minor. Um, wow. Now, this is where I'm going to start raging. <laughs> Okay. So obviously she was amazing. Like how could you not assume that she would just be amazing after yeah. hearing all this backstory? So reviewers from the evening, um, from the Boston evening, um, which was a paper said, um, uh, this is quote that I've taken out and it says with totality of conception that one seldom finds in players of her sex. God. Mm. Um, so it gets, West. So those are the kind of things that keep coming up. We'll, we'll keep talking about them. Um, she then did another one a few months later of Mendelssohn's Concerto in D minor. Like it take, would take me like a year to learn one concerto. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. Wow. Um, when she turned 18, she married a surgeon who was 24 years her senior. Mm. Apparently this is pretty common at the time. Um, and of course, women at the time were discouraged from having careers, particularly in music. Um, he was an amateur singer, um, and apparently like she was pretty happy about the marriage, but it did interrupt her career. Oh, and this is the thing. So as a result of the marriage, her name was listed on things as Mrs. H.H.A. Beach, because that's her husband's initials right? and name. So... Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to say his name because really who cares? Like, yeah, fair enough. Not important to this story. Um, already have to read about your initials, so whatever. Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> We're spending too much time on him. Move on. Sorry, yeah, yeah, moving on. Okay. 
Um, oh, but there is a bit more. So upon marriage, she had to agree, like this was a law type thing, to live according to his status. So she could never teach piano because that was a career and she couldn't have one. She could only do two performances per year. Why? Because men suck. <laughs> Goodness me, continue. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> good Lord. Okay. She had to, she couldn't make a profit from her performances. They all had to be donated to charity. What? I mean, lucky she married a doctor. Am I right? Like, no, but even still, that's her income. I know, I know. Bloody hell, like no financial independence. Um, and she had to focus on composing rather than performing because like they were like, well, that's less of a, um, I, I guess my guess would be like, they're like, well, no one's going to listen to it. It can be private, you know, type thing. That's ridiculous. And like, clearly she had this phenomenal talent that people yeah. were kind of losing their shit over. Mm, your face right now. I'm just like trying to process it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, she said after his death that he was old fashioned and thought that he thought that a husband should be providing for his wife. Um, but he still encouraged her to keep going, just not earn a living. Um, and he did to his credit, he used his position of influence in society to promote her compositions. So sounds like she had an okay marriage. I mean, I don't want to speculate about that. It's of the time. You know, and it's one of those things that's like, well, she didn't talk that badly about him, but also like, if you don't know any better, you think it's kind of all right. Like you just accept it, right? So Well, also if you know that it might benefit you to be married rather than to be single in a society like that, then, and in, in order to allow you to continue to some point, I don't know, I'm speculating massively, like maybe that's, the better thing to do it's just easier yeah like kind of just deal with it and at least she could carry on with her life and he let her do kind of things that she wanted even though like come on like it's not great she friggin wrote out the well-tempered clavier by memory like yeah she deserves better than this (laughs) anyway born in the wrong era okay (laughs) so (laughs) she did have quite a good career though so in 1892, the Handel and Haydn Society Orchestra performed her mass in E-flat major mm-hmm. and people went wild. Um, they never performed a piece by a woman before in Boston. So this Whoa. is kind of like a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and she got compared to Bach. So pretty awesome. Hooray. Yeah. Um, and then four years later, she followed up with the Gaelic Symphony, which was performed by the Boston Symphony. And... Um, Because, you know, Boston's like a big Irish immigrant town type thing. Um, Yay for Irish people. (laughs) (laughs) people. That's my people. Uh, (laughs) So, unfortunately, every review focused on her gender. Even if the review was good, it still, like, just mentioned it. Mentioned it, you know? Um, And whether it was good or bad, it was because of her gender. So... I'll just read out some of the um, quotes that I found that I thought were interesting. Um, So one was, in its effort to be Gaelic and masculine, it ends in being monotonous and spasmodic. Of grace and delicacy, there are evidences that the Siciliana, oh, sorry, in the Siciliana, which is one of the movements, and here she is her best, but yet a woman. I I have no words. Well, and also, like, not to slander or, like, play into gender stereotypes and stuff, but 
I don't necessarily associate Gaelic with that masculine. No. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. I don't know. As an Irish citizen <laughs> making a wild gender stereotyping thing. But seriously? <laughs> I don't know. I can't even. Anyway, what's the next like one? What, what, yeah. Like, what does that even mean to be Gaelic and masculine? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But are they talking? But I don't even know. I'm not going to finish that thought because. Anyway, I don't know. It's <laughs> just like blowing our little 20th, 21st century minds, right? Like, yeah. Um, Gosh. Cool, cool. All right. So next quote, another one said, women who write orchestration are always too heavy. A woman who writes for orchestra thinks I must be virile at all costs. So it's basically saying that like she's, the other one said that she wasn't masculine enough. This one's saying that she's too masculine? Or she, yeah, this one's saying that she was trying to be, yeah, like, too masculine and virile. <laughs> like, Pretty sure on. she was just trying to write music. Yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, and it, there's a positive one. Um, there's nothing feminine about the writing at all. Her work is strong and brilliant. Oh, that's nice, but still, why put feminine? Yeah, like, who you cares if there's something... Her work is strong and brilliant. Yeah, who cares if there's something feminine about it? Like, yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know this. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm just ra- raging at this point because seriously, F this all. <laughs> it's kind of like, don't give it space because it's not worth it. But then also at the same time, you have to. It's important to acknowledge it. And I think, I think so. Yeah. Like as we go through this and start looking at, you know, hopefully we'll start looking at different um Composers. Different composers or musicians um, from a much more diverse background. Like, we can't ignore it. No. Yeah. And I think also, like, we're, we're saying, like, our 21st century brains are being blown, but also, like, a lot of this kind of shit still happens. So. Oh, so true. I mean, I mean, it's not the same in any way, but it's kind of is Yuja Wang, who is the brilliant oh. pianist and who wears amazing you know she loves fashion so she wears awesome dresses but they're a little bit risque like a split up a you know a, a, a high split oh heaven forbid a high split but they, the reviewers <laughs> tend to focus on her what she's wearing rather than her performance and she's a brilliant pianist she's one of the best in the world i have you heard her live i've never seen her i've, I've seen live recordings but i've, I've never seen her perform live and it was oh my just God so good like so good but still like to focus on that why it's not about that who cares if she's wearing something else great she's bringing two different art forms together but it's just better than all the ugly tuxes i've seen or i'm not gonna name names like bland dresses why not get a little bit juiced up it's great and also like the energy that she brings to performances yeah ah i love it it's great oh my god i'm so So jealous you got to see her live (laughs) it was really cool but still like it's just that is it in a way because it's kind of taking it away from her playing Mm. which is what it should be about absolutely and i'm sure if a man wore something other than a tuxedo they wouldn't get i mean a great example would be james rhodes who's known for wearing jeans and sneakers but he's had sneakers designed for him so that he can feel the pedals. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's that's just, true, isn't it? It's and he's been applauded for bringing down like or um, what's his violin, Nigel Kennedy. Like, I mean, yeah, he can be a bit polarizing and and stuff. I did see him perform live at three MBS one time at like six AM. It was like Woodstock. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I know, but like you know, he dresses all punk and stuff, and yeah, like, um, but like yeah, all of those things. Like, you, you just don't see 
uh, anyway, I'm not. <laughs> anyway, that's, yes, it's good to talk about it. I know, and we're only talking about gender at this point as well. Like, we should acknowledge that we are two white women talking about this yes. as well. And, yeah, there's a lot to... So did you discover anything else about Amy Beach? Yeah, yeah, there's heaps more to go. So oh. <laughs> and also, like, we're also talking in a very binary gender thing as well, which is not great, so mm. we'll keep working on it. Um, but for now, back to the um, onslaught. I will try not to focus too much on these ridiculous reviews. <laughs> So she became um, one of the boys in Boston. So a group of six composers known in the Boston Six. Um, and I, I guess this was kind of good, but also, again, like one of the boys. And anyway, um, 1900 Happy Piano Concerto, um, she performed it as a soloist and there were themes in it relating to her struggle for musical independence from her parents, which is pretty cool. Yeah, right. Um, Sorry, was that a um, concerto she composed? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, not. I'm just rushing now. <laughs> um, she did a bunch of chamber music, like performing and stuff. Her husband died in 1910 and then her mother died seven years later. And I think this took a, a bit of a toll on her. Yeah. Um, so she moved to Europe and took a year off and then started performing over there. Mm-hmm. She travelled with Marcella Kraft, who is an American opera singer, um, and she performed both original works and, you know, the classics such as Brahms, Bach, Beethoven, yada, yada, yada. Um, the critics over there were a bit harsher than in the States, right. um, probably because it was like an American sound, yeah, I right. would say. Um, and I think if you listen to her, like you can tell it's not a European sound, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with a lot of like the, the classical canon and stuff like that. Um, I think they kind of thought it was a bit kitschy right. and things like that. Um, but she was still gaining popularity and demand for her sheet music was growing, which is cool. Yeah, cool. Um, oh, okay, so here's where we get um, into another vat of controversy. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so 1914, she moved back to America after the First World War started. Um, she made a couple of pro-German comments, which, you know me, I always love to look to see what... Um, other things were going on. Apparently, they seemed to be around her allegiance being to music, not military stuff. Um, she had a bunch of manuscripts confiscated at the Belgian border. Why? And she was trying to leave. I don't know why. I think it might have been a bit of a um, wartime panicky situation. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't really know. But she managed to recover them in 1929, like several years later. Oh, cool. so that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and again, like back to that Stravinsky thing of that lost piece that suddenly yeah. turned up like yeah. nearly a hundred years later. Like all of those things, I kind of like the idea of, I mean, don't you love when you lose something and then it turns up? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. true. That must've been pretty cool. Um, in 1915, she wrote a um, piece called the Panama Hymn in, was performed in San Francisco, commissioned to commem- uh, commemorate the Panama Canal building um and also the san francisco recovery from the earthquake um she started using her own name in europe while she was over there so like not the hh a beach yeah um thing but when she came back to america and this is it sucks but so she kept using her name amy beach but then people thought she was amy beach's daughter or the sorry mrs hha beach's daughter Oh, right. Because, like, they didn't know... All her work was known as Mrs. H.H.A. Beach. So when she started using her Real name. actual name, yeah. um, 
yeah, people were like, who? <laughs> so oh. she went back to using his name. Um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> In 1924, she co-founded and became the first president of the Society of American Women Composers, um, which aimed to kind of promote music written by women. Um, And I just wanted to read this quote from her. Um, So it said, One thing I've learned from my audiences is that young women artists and composers shouldn't be afraid to pitch right in and try. If they think they have something to say, let them say it. But let them be sure to build a technique with which to say it. The technique mustn't be visible, but it must be there. So That's I thought cool. that yeah. was a really interesting quote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not just in like a sense of musical technique, but I think for anything, you know, mm. it's like, um, I guess I'm just, uh, my head is in a lot of different spaces right now with my PhD and like being a therapist in a world that's falling apart. Yeah. Um, but thinking a lot about this idea of trying to amplify voices that aren't um, heard in the mainstream yeah. or in dominant narratives and thinking about like just give, we should be giving people a go, but also giving them the skills to do it. Yeah. You know? Um, Absolutely. And not just expecting people to jump in unqualified. Like I was reading a lot this morning um, around um, disabled activists and actors and getting roles in, in TV shows and things. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I was reading is that a lot of people are like, when you come out as disabled and identify as such, and then you take up space on social media, you have to, um, like you're disclosing a really important part of yourself, but also you're putting yourself at risk of like all this negative response. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize the toll that that takes um, on people and they expect emotional labor from them or even just like people, you know, if you or I, like God forbid if people actually listen to this podcast uh-huh. <laughs> and like we suddenly start getting a bunch of negative feedback, like I don't think we'd be prepared for... Um, no, I mean, it might even make us just stop doing what we're doing. Yeah, like so having the skills to kind of know how to communicate and yeah, right. also like to have, I guess, like some some strategies around how to deal with response and things like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which makes me think we should probably do some training, (laughs) but that's all right. You know, we try and I'm aware that we're quite clumsy in a lot of this stuff. So Mm. we're doing our best, but we can commit to doing better too. Yeah. Anyway, that was a little sidetrack, but I just thought that quote was quite nice. Um, and also considering, I guess she was denied training as well, you know, so quite powerful. Um, all right. So just a couple more things. So, um, in late 1929 she was reportedly an admirer of Mussolini which is not good that's kind of problematic yeah (laughs) um did you find that in other sources like was that it was mentioned in a couple of things but they didn't really go into a lot of detail um right so I guess it you know might have just been something that was mentioned a bit but it seems like I mean 1929 was quite early in that um yeah it was yeah it was before yeah but I just it's, so it's, a, it's one of those things where I couldn't find a lot of information about it, um, probably because probably, she probably wasn't affected that much by it being in America. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I just wanted to mention it just for transparency because I think it's important to, to be aware of those things. Um, and then she lived until 1944. Right. Um, which is, interestingly, after she died, a lot of her music went quiet. So... I think 
Was that because she was the only one playing it? Yeah, or maybe not the only one, but I think perhaps like when she was alive, she was really spearheading this stuff. Yeah. And then after she died, possibly, I mean, also if we're thinking about what was happening culturally in America and the world around 1944, you know, you've got the end of World War II, you've got revolutions all over the place. um, You've got the rise of popular music. Sorry, I keep knocking my glasses on (laughs) A mic stand. <laughs> Apologies if there's any random loud noises. Um, yeah, you've got the rise in popular music. You've got um, the world starting to, you know, mass communication expanding and stuff. So yeah, I think probably a little bit of both, like her not being there to promote it or perhaps not having local champions to promote, but also, yeah, just other contextual factors yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Um, but in the past few decades, people were trying to, to begin reviving it and stuff. Um yeah, and so like I said, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, balance between this sense of national pride that people have for her because she was like one of the most successful American composers of the t- of her time. Yeah, um, and also obviously like trailblazing. Yeah, but then obviously not enough for it to become like a big part of the American music canon like you know I'm just thinking I didn't know anything about her until Mary lent this piece yeah right you know so yeah like I'd heard the name but I had no idea I'd seen it on lists you know yeah yeah but never really never really heard it never heard it played and that's kind of the thing as well like when you look at those lists and the the less lesser well-known names you kind of just um, glaze over them mm. because it's not a Bach or a Beethoven or a Chopin or a Liszt or a Schubert or I mean even some 20th century names like Carl Vine or mm, Philip Glass yeah Schoenberg yeah you know it's it's one of those things so maybe we need to start now looking go back over those lists and pick the lesser well-known names and see what they're all about yeah and I think isn't it funny I mean obviously there's a a gender thing happening in a lot of those lists automatically anything anyway but also like you know then you know if you if you look at even on the surface level the classical art music world is so problematic in many many ways yeah you know all white men who are dead you know mostly um but yeah it's that kind of it's also very europe europe centric Eurocentric it really is. yeah you know like even in growing up through a music system education system in Australia and we had a requirement in a lot of things to play an Australian piece at some point did we have that in one it was in our honours year one of our things we had to it play in Austra- third year was an Australian year. is that when you played the Estorov yeah yeah nice um I played a piece called AK-47 by Matthew Heinsohn that was fun <laughs> I want to hear it yeah it had like a kick pedal Oh, wow. Um, to play along as well. I don't think I could do it ever again. Maybe I'll get Dan to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Great piece. But yeah, like all of those kind of things, like I don't remember ever learning about any American composers in our uni course. Can you? John Cage. Oh, yeah. That's right. And that was only because like smart ass students would get up and like play that in a <laughs> four yeah. minutes 33 in a piano workshop when they hadn't practiced. I don't ever remember that happening. Really? Our friend, I'm not going to say his name because no permission and I haven't seen him in quite a while, but definitely one of our classmates 
did that. I must have missed that Lisa, workshop. You must have just skipped like it. <laughs> put it out of my mind. Um, time for people with nonsense. The thing I loved about it, though, is that the teacher made him do it for the full four minutes 33. <laughs> so he got up and was like, I'm going to do four minutes 33. Like, I think expecting to kind of just be kicked off. But the teacher was like, no, no, if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> That would have been so awkward. <laughs> it really actually was, but that's kind of part of the charm of that piece. I that's think. right, yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar with John Cage's 4 Minutes Go 33, look it up. Look it up. Um, the, yeah, interesting one. And just think that your computer isn't broken. No. <laughs> so was there anything more about Amy Beach? No, that's it. That's all I got to in my research. That's pretty interesting. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. And I'm really interested to go and look at what other music she is and do a bit of a listen. And Yeah, actually. Oh, so that radio show that I mentioned at the start with um, oh yeah. God, their names, um, Virginia Eskin and David Duvall, um, they play recordings of Virginia performing some of her repertoire. What's the name of the show? Uh, For the Love of Music. That's right. Um, but yeah, if you, I will post a link, but if you just search um, Amy Beach, Virginia Eskin, for the, it's E-S-K-I-N, that's her name. Um, for the love of music, you'll find it on YouTube. And that's a radio show, not a podcast? Yes. I, mean, I don't think podcasts existed in 1983. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. So mm. This is the um, the OG podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but they they interspersed the interview with some recordings from her. Oh, I'm so going to go and have a listen. Definitely. It was, and also just, yeah, as I said, it was really fun just listening to a old school interview because they're talking about it, you know, obviously, like they're talking about current events in the world. So it's it quite fun. Yeah, so it was a bit... Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for all of that. That was really interesting. Thank you. Sorry for the rants. Hopefully listeners aren't too sensitive and can be <laughs> open-minded. <laughs> I hope so too. I think it's important to discuss these things because there is so much that went on outside of the, you know, mainstream uh, canon that we're used to that we just don't know about, so... Absolutely. And if anyone has any lived experience of these kind of things, would love to hear, you know, if you want to be interviewed, please get in touch. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd love to, I think we're both quite keen on exploring, or not, oh, I hate that word exploring, but like just maybe doing a little bit of research and focusing episodes around things that aren't necessarily white male composers. Yeah. So, yeah, anyone who would like to join in, feel free. Cool. Well, I think it's that time of the episode, Zara. Mm-hmm. Our favourite time of the episode. Everybody's favourite. <laughs> I feel like we should win an award for this section of the episode. Yeah, maybe we can nominate ourselves one of those podcast awards for most original. Best section. Best um, best theme segment? music. <laughs> yeah. The whole segment, not just the theme music. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because who else plays scales on podcasts? Yeah, I think this is groundbreaking. Pretty much. Are we doing a disservice to <laughs> our gender <laughs> with this shoddy? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, should we sing the, the theme music? Yeah, which one? Uh, I don't know. Okay, Let's ready? Just, should we just do the traditional, see what comes out of our mouth? Yeah, I think right. people are... Right. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Scale the my episode. Damn it! We, we sang the same one. <laughs> we sang the same one. I got the words wrong. <laughs> wow! There you go. So, so maybe close. that's the one. Woo-hoo. Tune in to the next episode to see what happens there. 
But what are we going to play? I guess we've decided that I'm playing it, but we didn't decide what key. Ah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I did mention that maybe I could do a Hannon, but Zara shut that down pretty quickly. <laughs> well, like, if you want to do a Hannon, you're welcome to play a Hannon. No, okay. I just don't advocate for anyone to play Hannon ever. Hannon is great. It's good for agility. I'm uh, playing it. It's my little warm-ups. Sure. <laughs> I've got a, a Hannon book that my mum had when she was as a student, so it's falling apart. It's held together by tape. A lot of my injury is tied up in Hannon. So I can understand. <laughs> maybe having a little trauma response. Okay, then we won't do Hannon. But no, no, you can, you can do Hannon if you want. It's fine. I will just um, no, deal with myself. It is a scale. Okay. Pick, an, pick a key. Pick oh, why don't you just go to the piano and like randomly press a key and then that's the scale of the month. Okay. Woo! I'm just this is experimental. You could do a John Cage 4 minutes 33 scale. I don't think our listeners have time for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. What, let's just see what this piece I'm playing is. So you want? D major. D major? Oh, that's too easy. Joanna's just walked over to the piano, by the way. Um, so hopefully you can hear the ambient room sounds. <laughs> That's good because the point of scale of the episode isn't that we present a perfect scale. It's a cue for us to practice, right? Yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> Ugh, scales. Don't forget to practice your scales. Very important. Mm. It's like taking your daily vitamins. True, true. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you enjoyed learning about Amy Beach and that you enjoyed learning a little bit about Mary and her, also her performance of Amy Beach's piece. Yes. Thank you so much again, Mary, for coming on the show. It's yeah, been great. It's great to have you. Um, if anyone wants to join us and you're just like, you know what? I want to get in on that action. Then just do it. Record something, get in touch with us, and we'd love to have you on the show and we can do a bit of an interview. Yes. Please reach out via Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, so on Facebook, we are I Used to Play Piano. On Instagram, we are I Used to Play Piano. Or you can email us at... I used to play podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so get in touch. Until next time, take care, everyone. Yes, take care and do some music. Woo! <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.